Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Hi, so I'm about to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm starting at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, It was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party 
but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad that I can have complete confidence in you. This is God's word. Evening everyone, Uh, my name is Chris and I oversee this service. I'm going to be talking for a while, but before that, your turn to talk. I want you to either talk to the person next to you, or if you're feeling particularly brave, the person behind you or in front of you, and I want you to ask them this question, what is your dream dinner? And just to be clear, I'm talking appetizers, entrees, mains, desserts, the whole shebang, chat to the person nearby. All right, regretfully, I have to cut you off. (laughs) Try at least. I am really genuinely interested in hearing your answers afterwards. Please let me know. I said that at the morning service. No one told me what they want to eat. So please let me know after the service what you would choose. But I wonder... As you think about all those things you just listed, as you covered all those dishes, could you actually eat it all? Yes, all right. Good for you guys. All right. Guess it depends how much you listed in the first place, but that's my problem. I love the idea of like a dream dinner and just smashing out all of these things, but I don't think I could actually eat it all and enjoy it. My mum used to say to my siblings and me that we had eyes that were bigger than our stomachs. Do you remember this old saying? Is it still? It is now. All right, great. Uh, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. We want more than we can fit in. But that's not just a problem for our stomachs. That's a problem for our hearts too. It's a problem for our affections. We think we can love more things than we actually do. We want many things, but our hearts don't have that much room. The Apostle Paul, who wrote to Corinthians, he's had this up and down relationship with the Corinthians, these people that live in this city, in this church in Greece. He was an integral part of establishing their church. He helped get things going. He, for 18 months, lived with them and loved them. But now... They've become suspicious of Paul, disappointed with him, dismissive of him. And from where Gary began, verse 11, he says that Paul, he says that he has opened wide his heart to them, but they haven't made room in their hearts for him. Instead, they've given their hearts to other things. They've placed their affections elsewhere and they've run out of space. This reality is so important to Paul that he repeats it again. In chapter 7, verse 2, he says, Make room for us in your hearts. 
And I think it's so important to him, not just because it hurts him personally, that they've pushed him aside, but because he's concerned that by pushing him aside, maybe they've also been squeezing out God too. Now, we aren't in the exact same situation as the Corinthians. Paul hasn't written us a personal letter reminding us to be reconciled to him. But we do have something in common with the Corinthians. Our hearts don't have much room. And it's so easy for other things to crowd out Jesus. To give him a little less space, a little less attention, a little less affection. And so, while we had a great long reading today, and I think it's really good that we're reading through all of 2 Corinthians together, I'm going to skip most of chapter 7 and just zoom in on that second half of chapter 6. We're going to look at that advice Paul gives the Corinthians about how to make sure they're filling their hearts with the right thing. Let me pray and we'll get into it. God, we thank you so much that you speak to us through your word and we pray that you do it now. You'd cut through all the distractions, every other thought, and you'd confront us with what you want us to hear and know. And we pray that we'd come away from here changed to be more like Jesus. Amen. All right, so the Corinthians have crowded hearts. They have divided affections. They're aloof towards Paul, and he's concerned that they've become cold towards God. And so to address this problem, Paul says in verse 14, do not be yoked to unbelievers. That's what he says, do not be yoked to unbelievers. And, and it just doesn't translate that well for us in 21st century Sydney, does it? When you hear yoked now, what, what, tell me the slang, what does it mean? Jacked, right? I think, I think, I think that's what the cool kids use for yoked. Uh, it means that you're really muscular. Uh, the cool kids are now laughing at me, it's fine. But doesn't translate very well. This is what a yoke is. Can I have the image? That's a yoke. A yoke joins together two animals whose job it is to cooperate as they pull something heavy like a plow or a wagon. But even though a picture speaks a thousand words and I gave you two pictures, so we should grasp it, I'm not sure the pictures are really doing it justice. So, yesterday in my free time, I made a yoke. My five-year-old daughter did the staining, so please notice the the fine craftsmanship. Uh, Here we go. This is a yoke. All right. You get the idea? Not really? All right. We might need a couple of volunteers. All right. Can I get a couple of volunteers? All these heads drop. Oh, I think I'm sensing over here that uh, Sam and Pravin volunteered. Thanks, guys. All right. Don't be shy. Come on. Yeah, I'm for real. I'm not joking. Ah, this is wonderful. Uh, I warned Sam, but he he volunteered you without telling you. (laughs) All right, I want you to put it on. All right, Uh, you can do it one of two ways. You can go around your waist, or you can put like uh, one shoulder through and your head through. But I don't want you to just do your neck for obvious reasons. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, beautiful. Look at that. How good is that? They got it. Yeah, this is wonderful. All right. All right, you are now yoke fellows. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want you to make your way down the aisle, just slowly, casually, just get used to the feel of a yoke. Okay, go for it. Go. Yep. All right, this is great. You can hold the yoke if it helps, because it's not properly attached. All right, they're doing really well. Okay, I want you to slowly turn around. Careful. You got it. Oh, nice turn. Right? How about that, eh? Yep, come back, come back, come back. All right. And turn around, turn around again. All right. 
All right, you're getting, you're getting better and better. A bit of practice. You could be really good at this. Wonderful oxen. All right. <laughs> this is a risk bringing you up here, Sam. All right. So if the yoke fellows have the same objective, if they're going the same way, if they have the same goal, things work quite smoothly. Even with limited practice, you did a wonderful job. However... What if they don't share the same objective? What if they're trying to go in alternative directions? Christians are called to follow Jesus. But by definition, a non-Christian or an unbeliever, as Paul says, is not going to follow Jesus. That's what makes them an unbeliever. By definition, an unbeliever doesn't follow Jesus. So what happens then? All right, Pravin, I want you in a moment, hold on, to maybe gently head towards the cross. All right, you're headed towards Jesus. Sam, you are drawn by the world out there, so I want you to head towards the windows. All right, go for it. All right, great, 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 great. Uh, but maybe in this scenario, fortunately, Pravin's legs are stronger than Sam's, and we start heading over towards the cross. Because, yeah, great, all right. All right, great, good job. All right, lovely, come back. All right, all right. You're doing really, really well, and I'm really glad I chose the two of you. <laughs> when they're going in opposite directions, what we have is a struggle. And best case scenario, Pravin's legs are really strong, and they, at least Pravin makes it to the cross. He makes it towards Jesus. Maybe Sam makes it too. That's best case scenario. But maybe a bit more of a struggle than was ideal. Maybe a bit harder than it was supposed to be. And I think that's how we so often live as followers of Jesus. Because we're yoked to things that don't necessarily want to go towards Jesus, it's just a bit harder than it should be for us to follow him. That was the best case scenario. Other times, the fight maybe doesn't quite feel as worth it for Pravin. Maybe the windows are looking really enticing, and Sam's a bit stronger. Giddy up. <laughs> All right. Great. All right, you're going that way, you're going that way. All right. Keep going. Good, good, great. You can pause there for a moment while I continue preaching. Great. All right. They're getting pulled further and further away. The windows are really enticing. Come back. Maybe, though, they don't want to fight. Maybe Sam is a reasonable kind of guy, and he says to Pravin, hey, man, we don't have to fight about this. There's no need for a struggle. <laughs> why don't we go to each location? Just start with mine. That sounds reasonable. Pravin thinks, yeah, sure, why not? And so you start heading over to the windows, and you have every intention of coming back to the cross eventually, but the further and further away you get... If Pravin looks back at all, when he looks back, Jesus seems so small, so distant, so irrelevant that it's hard for him to remember what made Jesus so appealing in the first place. All right, can we get a round of applause for these two? You're all done. I'll take that. Thanks, guys. And we might make excuses for ourselves. We might say, no, it's not a big deal. I'm strong enough, it's fine. But Paul says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, he's using really black and white language here, I get that. But I think he's using black and white language because the results are kind of black and white. Either people want Jesus or they don't. But we can't chase after everything because our hearts don't have much room. Let me be clear. Paul isn't saying Christians now need to avoid non-Christians. 
He's not saying that. He so badly wants Christians to love the people around them with the love of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus himself was regularly accused of being too friendly with the non-religious types. This isn't about avoiding non-Christians. If we're avoiding people that don't follow Jesus, then we're not following Jesus. But Paul's concern here is that we don't put ourselves under the influence of anyone that would be pulling us away from Jesus. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols, he asks. He says, we are the temple of the living God. Our hearts don't have much room, so don't let yourself be easily influenced by those that would fill it with the wrong things. Don't be yoked to them. But again, maybe you're still wondering, what's the big deal? Why do Christians always have to get so worked up after every little thing and make it more complicated? Say we chase after other things too. Say we're easy to influence, or maybe we just just say we're relaxed. Why can't we go with the flow and seek other things? So what if it's a bit of a tug of war sometimes? Why can't we try to have it all? Because our hearts don't have much room. They get filled up really quickly. And if we fill our hearts with the wrong things, they'll start to change us in the wrong ways. In the Old Testament, prophets warned again and again against what they called idolatry. They meant worshipping idols, these little statues, little figurines that people would make. And the prophets pointed out that these statues, although they were called gods, these statues, they can't really see. They're blind. They can't really hear, they're deaf. They can't really speak, they're dumb. They're not really alive, they're dead. And the people that worship them become like them. They become spiritually blind and deaf and dumb and spiritually dead. We're shaped by what we worship. We're shaped by what we fill our hearts with. And it can happen quickly because our hearts don't have that much room. Some examples. People who worship career over time are going to become more and more cutthroat, more and more ruthlessly ambitious. They can't love their colleagues because they're in competition with their colleagues. They can't fully love their family because their family is holding them back and getting in the way. What we worship shapes us. People who worship fashion and style over time will become more and more superficial. If you worship money, you'll become greedy and selfish. If you worship strength, you'll despise vulnerability. If you worship popularity, you'll start to see everyone else around you as a threat. Paul wants to call the Corinthians away from that. And God speaking through Paul is calling us away from that too. He's calling us away from that kind of worship, that kind of life, that kind of heart. But he's not just calling us from something. He's calling us to something. He's calling us to himself. Back in verse 16. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. 
Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Here, Paul is paraphrasing a whole bunch of Old Testament verses with this same invitation. Draw close to the God that draws close to you. This invitation to empty our hearts of other things that so quickly fill up and give our hearts to him instead. Why why would we do that? Why do we have to give our hearts to God? Why is that a good idea? For the same reason we shouldn't give our hearts to idols. Because we are shaped by what we worship. And so how much better to worship the source of all goodness, the source of all joy, the source of all peace and hope and love. How much better to be shaped by that. Verse 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We'll be his kids. We'll resemble him. And Paul concludes, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Turn from the things that pollute us, that separate us, that negatively influence us and lead us astray, and turn to the God who has invited us into his family. We give our hearts to him first because our hearts don't have that much room. But I want to try and make this a bit more specific and practical. Take a moment. I know this is a metaphor. You get this is a metaphor, right? Yeah, by now we get this is a metaphor. Okay. I want you to imagine yourself metaphorically wearing the yoke. When you think of the idea of being unhelpfully influenced, of being pulled away from Jesus, does anyone in your life come to mind for you? that has that kind of impact on you. Maybe it's several people. Maybe it's a group of people. Does anyone come to mind for you that is pulling you away from Jesus? What might it look like for you to unyoke yourself? How might you go about decreasing the amount of influence they have on you? But in 2022, it's not just the people we know that influence us. Maybe especially we're influenced by people we don't even personally know. And so I wonder, how yoked are you to this? How tightly have you been holding on to your device lately? Or maybe how tightly has your device been holding on to you? We used to have to worry about going out into the world to be influenced. But as many people have noticed, we don't need to go out into the world to be influenced anymore because the world is right here in our hands. It's in our bedrooms. It sees us go to sleep at night and it's there waiting for us when we wake up. Do you need to reduce the space this is taking in your heart? Do you need to take a break from the news app or a particular news outlet? Or pause your Netflix subscription? Do you need to stop reading that writer who subtly and steadily keeps undermining your confidence in Jesus? Do you need to unfollow a particular Instagram personality? Or do you just need to straight up delete TikTok for a week? What might it take to start loosening that grip it has on you to free yourself from that yoke? 
Maybe it's not even a particular thing that is so overtly negative and you're like, oh, clearly I shouldn't be engaging in that. Maybe it's just so addictive that it's filling your heart up and crowding out the good things that could be in there otherwise. My wife called me out on my day off last week uh, for having my headphones in for I don't know how many hours straight because I was listening to so many podcasts. And so I'm taking a break this week from podcasts and it's getting a little bit easier each day. But it's not enough just to cut things out. God doesn't just call us away from, he calls us to. What could you do just this week? Let's not make this super complicated. Just this week, what could you do that will increase God's influence and let him fill up your heart that you've been making free for him? Maybe you're a reader and this week, You want to go hard and you want to read the entire Gospel of Luke and just marvel at the kindness of Jesus' heart. Maybe you're not really a reader and you want to do that. Maybe you just want to read each day a different one of your favorite Bible passages to remind yourself of how good God is. Maybe each morning when you wake up, you want to play different praise songs to set your heart right and set your day right. Maybe each night before bed, you just want to give thanks to God for 10 different things. Pick something to help you be influenced by God instead of other things. But before we finish, I wonder if when you were watching... Sam and Pravin get pulled further and further and further towards the windows, aside from being very goofy. Uh, I wonder if that felt a little real for you, a little accurate, like maybe you've really strayed a long way from Jesus yourself. If that's you, then hear this. I want you to understand that Jesus isn't back where you left him, waiting for you to come back. He's not standing there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, waiting for you to make your way back. He's not the God that calls you to clean yourself up and come to him when you've got it all together. He's the God that comes to us. He's the God who died for us. He's not waiting for you to make your way back. He's just waiting for you to turn around and realize that he's right there beside you. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Stand beside me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when we do that, when we turn to Jesus, when we put on his yoke and let him walk alongside us and lead us, when we once more give him the first place in our hearts, something funny happens. He starts to make our hearts bigger. Our affections grow. Our capacity to love grows. 
and because he is in our hearts first, because he's the one shaping us, we can still love other people and other things, but without being controlled by them. Our hearts don't have that much room. They are quickly filled, easily influenced. But if you want a heart that grows, if you want a heart that's a little more stable, a little less easily influenced, make room for Jesus first. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatt's.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.